I'm Dee Brown, CEO, and welcome to this episode of HBCU. On the last episode, we had Mayor Chuck Espy and State Representative Latasia Jackson on the show. After the show ended, we talked about it and we had so much unfinished business, I decided to bring them back for a second episode. Latasia, Chuck, welcome back to HBCU. Thank you again, Dee, so much for having us. It's a pleasure to be here again. No, absolutely. Right. I feel I, was back. I, I felt like we left so much uh, unsaid in the previous e episode, so I wanted to keep keep the dialogue going. And so, Chuck, I'm going to start with you okay. and just talk about uh, Southern University again and yeah. whether or not there were any uh, teachers or, or okay. staff that actually um, left a, a lasting uh, mark on your life. Yeah. Listen, I know that at all of our HBCUs, there are memorable people right all over um, the nation. Um, but one individual um, that really actually took it to heart um, to take the time to care about me and what, what's happening in my life. Um, the individual looked at certain scores and they said, hey, listen, I know that you're somewhat distracted by what's going on. And they actually took that moment to say, Espy, guess what? Go back and get yourself regrouped, come back to the table, and we'll make sure that these, these tests will be here when you get back. And I mean, at that time, it was so interesting to, to have Marcel to, to do that for me. Um, and he showed me that he cared. So it went further than just a student-teacher relationship. I mean, the person actually said, I'm interested about your career, your yeah. life, and what's gonna happen after this. And I mean, I was able to come back um, to Southern to finish up my coursework, and um, the individual was still there, and he yeah. said, I told you I was gonna be right here when you <laughs> got back. And um, I was able to complete my testing, score you know, off the charts, yeah. and um, had a lot of fun at the end. But the, the best part was building that type of relationship with an individual. And um, unfortunately, um, I hadn't been able to be back in contact with that person since about 10 years ago. Yeah. But we had um, kept in quite contact with each other over the years. Yeah. And that's the kind of relationships that you want to build at a HBCU and to have those memorable experiences because they didn't treat me like a rank and file. I right. wasn't just another student. Right. Um, it was individual or he made me feel like a special person. Right. What about awesome. you, Latasha? Well, I have to say, um, Mrs. Yolanda Huntley, <laughs> During my externship, student teaching, after finishing the coursework at Alabama State for English language arts education, yeah. we were required to do an internship. And going to Sidley Lanier High School and working with Ms. Huntley, she commanded a certain amount of professionalism from us, even as student interns. And that really catapulted me and my professional career even now, where I'm able to take a lot of the gems that were instructed through her being an example, yeah. you know, to me as a, as a lead teacher. And um, being able to use that now, having that balance of student life and professionalism at the same time and commanding a certain amount of accountability was right. really vital for me transitioning from the coursework to the professional mm -hmm. world. and. That's what you really get at an HBCU. You yeah. really get the opportunity to really develop the career path and the professional skills to go out and be set apart and lead in a in a great capacity. Right, right. I agree with you. 
So, uh, Chuck, I want to talk to you about the program that you mentioned in the previous episode. Yeah. And this is the program where you are teaching young, young African-American men and women how to properly engage with law enforcement to prevent uh, senseless you know, incidents from occurring. Tell me a little bit more about that program. It's, it's very simplistic. Um, we're partnering with Mississippi Valley. Um, we're partnering with high schools all across the Delta region in Mississippi. And what we simply do is to reenact scenarios, um, real life scenarios that um, African-American men can encounter. Um, oftentimes there is a disproportionate um, ratio of African-Americans to white males um, when there's a traffic stop. Right. Um, African-American males are targeted at a higher, much higher level um, about search, um, about the regular traffic stop itself yeah. at a disproportionate rate. So what we simply do is to teach um, young black men on how when the blue lights cut on, what should you do? And some of the basic things that you will clearly understand is it's very simple. A lot of times people simply get nervous when they see blue lights. Right. And it triggers all kind of negative chain of events that could occur. So what we teach in the program is to simply cut the engine off, let your windows down, have your license, registration, and insurance right there on the seat. Put your hands on the steering wheel, and most importantly, respect the law enforcement officer as he approaches your window. Right. Right. Answer their questions. Because honestly, in that area where you are on the highway, they're gonna win 100% of the time. Right. So you can't actually have an argument or debate on the road. Your time to debate is in the courtroom. Yeah. Right. So what we do, we teach them this, these, this particular skill set, and it allows them to troubleshoot. And unfortunately, if the individual finds himself in this type of situation, yeah. they'll know how to handle themselves. That's wow. awesome. So Latasia, you uh, graduated from the University of Mississippi School of Law after matriculating from Alabama State University, but you ran for the State House of Representative your last semester? No, actually while serving in the House. So, okay, so tell yeah. me that, yeah. So in 2013, I was elected in a special election and I'd always dreamed of actually going to law school. That's all I wanted to do as a kid. Yeah. And so I decided after being elected that I would better position myself as a leader having a law degree. Understanding to whom much is given, much more is required, I took on the challenge of actually going to law school. I'd already taken the LSAT, already did what was necessary for entry, yeah. but I had gotten several positions, jobs, and decided to defer law school. But after being elected in the House, I knew it was necessary you know, to strengthen my skills right. for legislation purposes and different things like that. And so in 2014, while serving in the House, I started law school at the University of Mississippi and it was it was challenging, you know, balancing both again, but we can agree, you know, from our HBCU experiences, yeah. we learn to take on the challenges and to do what's necessary to lead in the most efficient way. Right. And so I, I was grateful to finish in 2017 of December. Oh, wow, okay. So uh, Chuck, mm -hmm. in 1999, 
you decided wow. to... Wow, 1999. 1999. Okay. I think Prince made a song about I that. I got it, not absolutely. <laughs> but <laughs> you decided... You decided that you were going to follow your your um, heritage yeah. and, and and toss your head into the political ring arena, and you ran for uh, state representative district uh, twenty six uh, Mississippi. Talk to me about that decision and that journey to getting elected, because I know it was a long hard yeah, journey. Yeah, man. I mean, you're going back to nineteen ninety nine. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, the interesting part, if I could go back and talk to that Chuck. I mean, that was a 23-year-old um, individual going to the House of Representatives for the first time. Right. And um, even though I knew where the bathrooms were, there were th still a lot of things that I needed to learn. Um, but that race was really interesting during that time. Um, individuals were self-serving um, during those times. Um, people were out for what they could get out of politics, not what you could give. Right. And um, so we challenged the system. Um, even you as D. Brown during that time in 1999, you, you saw something in my campaign and you said, hey, let's give you a little horsepower. Um, we put on a massive operation during that time. I don't know if you will remember, but during those times, it was unheard of to have 35 vans um, to take people to the polls. We had 35. Right. We were stretching for two blocks right. all the way down um, the street, and people had never seen that before. Um, but they believed in the movement. Um, they believed that we were going to clean up the process, and we did. And we gave them full-time representation. And that what was what was needed at the time. So many things have changed since then, yeah. and you have to adapt. But in that moment, we were ahead of the curve. Right. It's really nice. And Latasia, you founded uh, Educate, correct? Yes. Uh, a nonprofit organization. So talk to me about that. So growing up in Como, after my dad was discharged honorably from the military, I found myself, like most young people in rural Mississippi, not really having things to do in the summer, not having a lot of things to do after school. And I told my great-grandfather, D, I said, when I get rich, hey, I, I'm going to build a community center. I'm going to do all of these great things. Yeah. And so I was fortunate to leave Montgomery after Alabama State and go to Chicago. And I worked for the city of Chicago, providing after-school programs and things like that. And in that experience, I was able to work collaboratively to transform schools and inner-city youth. And so I had a great opportunity there, but I knew there was a burning need and a desire for that type of service in Mississippi. Yeah. And so at the time initially, I wanted to start with just a back-to-school rally, a convoy of hope with a back-to-school rally. And I never will forget we did the first back-to-school rally in 2009, and it started to rain. And the kids didn't leave right. because they had nothing to do. So the refreshments, the bouncers, the things that we had attract them so that they wouldn't leave. A little girl at that time was five, came up to me and she said, you should do this every day. So I go back to Chicago mm -hmm. and I'm, you know, enjoying the bigger city yeah. and enjoying life in Chicago. And I kept having the presence of that young lady before me and I decided I'm going to do something. You know, I'm not going to wait on all of the resources. I'm going to use what I have and I'm going to go back home and I'm going to provide youth with services. At that time, I didn't want to leave the big city now. Yeah. I wanted to pretty much 
do the program, have someone run the program, stay in Chicago, right. and attend law school, work for the city, and continue my path. Well, it was my dream, my vision. And, you know, seeing you as an accomplished man, I know you understand that. Uh, it's hard trying to trust or entrust someone else with the visions and plans that you have for an organization. Right. And it takes your hands-on work, especially in the initial stages. Right. And so I moved back home from Chicago and started Educate. Now that's my baby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I enjoy serving in the house. It was a pleasure mm -hmm. serving with Chuck and I, I enjoy that immensely. But Educate Social and Public Policy, being able to expose youth with opportunities beyond Como, beyond North Mississippi, beyond the state of Mississippi, means so much to me because I understand that exposure and experience give you hope, give you aspirations and dreams. And while I'm talking about this, I really want to commend you on what you're doing in so many capacities to share your platform mm -hmm. with other professionals and with young adults and, and their aspirations for dreams. Because what I understand is you, you have to see examples. Right. You have to see everyday heroes. You have to see mayors that look like you so you can right. aspire one day to be a mayor right. or a mortician or an, own a funeral home. Right. And so it takes platforms like this so that individuals can see us in such a professional light so that they can strive for more and for right. excellence. And so that's what Educate provides. We've been very successful since the doors opened January 13th, 2011. That was my father's birthday. And I wanted to open on that day to yeah. commemorate his legacy. And we've been fortunate with no state, no federal money to be able to provide wow. those services since wow. then. That's very honorable. And uh, Chuck, I know that you have, um, shortly after uh, becoming uh, state representative for Mississippi back in 99, shortly thereafter, you founded the Chuck Espy Foundation. Right. And you donated 100% of your salary yeah. to the foundation. Talk to me about the Chuck Espy Foundation yeah. and the work that you did with that vehicle. Um, the great part of that is um, it, it actually, I was leaving the state capitol one day and uh, we actually started the foundation based on an individual um, that was pumping gas in Yazoo City. And um, he only pumped $2 worth of gas, all right? And so, you know, that didn't quite get a gallon. And I said, sir, do you need any help? And he was, he had a lot of pride. He was like, no, no, I'm good, I'm good. And um, his wife said, he doesn't have it, we don't have it. And um, I started looking at gas bills, utility bills all across um, the Mississippi Delta and began to make a partnership with corporations that if I put up my salary as a state representative, I asked for corporations to match it. Right. And they matched it dollar for dollar. Um, we began to use those funds um, to put up for over six, seven years um, for people that needed help throughout the entire Delta. But we shifted that program to the Second Chance program and we started to use those dollars in a better way. In other words, if you teach a man to fish, yeah. feed him for life right. concept. And so what we started to do was to shift that program into investment in education opportunities for different people. And to give that one great example, um, when we started the Second Chance program, one individual female um, saw it on, um, on the news that day. Uh -huh. And um, I don't want to give any names because we kind of stay really private about people's um, concerns and how they get to that next step. Right. But um, this one individual um, 
was discouraged by their family members. Um, the person said that I'm going down there to City Hall and I'm going to see the mayor and I'm going to take him up on a second chance program. And um, the family member said to this person, this individual wanted to rise to another level in, in their career. And the family member said, you're just dreaming. You'll never accomplish anything and wow. you need to stay exactly in the posture and the way that you are. Right. This individual came to City Hall and, and basically cried about that. And oftentimes, you know, we have people that discourage us and try to have stumbling blocks in our right. life and you have to persevere. And this individual now, after graduating through the Second Chance program, is making a $75,000 job awesome. annually yeah. and has moved from, and, and hear this well, this person was involved in holding drugs for drug dealers. This person did not have a way out, did not have a paycheck, yeah. couldn't provide for her children, and now this individual is taking her kids to Disney World and participating as a legitimate citizen in Mississippi. Awesome. And yeah. when you have those night and day stories, that's what gets us up, Representative yeah. Jackson. That's what inspires me. And that's what you inspire every right. day yeah. with D. Brown self-made yeah. to push forward. Right. And so we try to spread this message through HBCUs. We spread this message through the entire Delta. And we're just hoping that we can continue to pass it on and lift people out right. of the ditch. So, uh, Latasia, I know you are a proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. <laughs> and uh, Chuck, you are a member of the other 1911 <laughs> fraternity, Omega go. Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated. And, uh, you know, Greek organizations, uh, you know, obviously the, the reason the, the cup is crimson inside is because I'm a okay. Kappa. Okay. But <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's what that was for. I'm <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, at the, at the heart of what we do uh, with fraternities and sororities is service. And so when I'm listening to you all talk about how you serve your community and the way that you have created these conduits to help facilitate their service, I would like for you, uh, Latasia, to just take a minute to talk about your sorority and how that has helped inspire you to, to be committed to service. Definitely. I am so grateful for my sisterhood. As a proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, I am honored to continue the legacy and perpetuate what our founders stood for, but then having the sisterhood to be able to embody the things that I strive to do professionally means a lot. Yeah. It takes collaborative efforts to be able to do what we do effectively. Right. And I can even say coming here, you know, for the show, if it weren't for the Fab Five, I mean, <laughs> I would really not be able to keep it together most of the times. Yeah. Having a sisterhood to help you through good times, through your successes, and even in those down times, right. really, really help balance me as an individual and keep me grounded. Right. When I started raising money and looking for other professionals to help me with some of the initiatives with Educate, mm -hmm. I look within my network, right. like we, like we often right. do. Right. And so being able to have a network of black professional females that are in various careers was vital 
for me and for the participants of Educate and being able to use their resources and their connections to be able to expand the exposure of the students. Because if I kept it within the scope of only what I could provide, right. we would be somewhat limited, but we would go far. Right. But we would, like we have been able to go much farther just by using the outlet of so many others. And so I, I really love Love, love, love the support, the encouragement, the spiritual, the um, financial support that my sisters provide, you know, and then just being able to have genuine love, genuine support. You know, being who we are, it's hard finding authentic, genuine people right, that right. really will, sure. will carry you in a way to love to see you successful, to see you thrive in the various capacities that we're able to um, foster in whatever roles we're in, but having a sisterhood of sisters that are genuinely supportive yeah. and have your back, right, wrong, or indifferent, makes the difference for right. me, D. I mean, it's amazing. It's like no other. Going home to Alabama State or traveling here to Chicago yeah. and just being able to travel from state to state and being connected to sisters no matter where you go is amazing. Chuck, take a couple minutes and just speak to that as it relates yeah, to Omega Sci-Fi I'm, I'm just listening, um, you know, and everyone brings their uniqueness to the table. Um, the purple and gold, you know, <laughs> always have been one of the strongest pillars um, in the community. Um, I just love that our principles are very steadfast in the community. But the one that it just seems like it keeps being highlighted yeah. um, in my fraternity and like so many other um, sororities and fraternities, we give African-American children an opportunity to see real business leaders, yeah. Yeah. professionals, um, women and men that carry themselves in a manner that they may not see every day. Right. And when Omega Psi Phi goes into those schools, they actually see men that they can pattern after. Yeah. They can actually have some goals and say, right. hey, I want to be like that. So. Um, in essence, I just think that it's it's um, leaving that legacy of Omega men right. and then actually showing young black men on a path in which they can go. Absolutely. I think that uh, you all have summed it up uh, perfectly. And that is why I think that, you know, considering being part of a fraternity or sorority when you enter college, obviously, you know, I'm biased. <laughs> and I think that it's only one well, choice I, from a fraternity I perspective. See. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be become a noob. But if you, you know, if you go astray, Omega Sci-Fi is not a bad place to land. There you go. All right? <laughs> we'll be there to support you. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and of course, um, I appreciate you all for coming back for a second episode. Thank you. You all are doing great work in the community. And for the viewers who may not have seen episode one, uh, both of you all, uh, were recognized for your lifetime of achievement in furthering the uh, work of HBCUs. And so, once again, I would like to just, for the viewers who are tuning in for the first awesome. time, represent you. you all Thank you. with our HBCU Amazing. Lifetime Achievement Award for your commitment in advancing historically black colleges and universities. And we need more individuals like us at the table to help close this gap uh, that we face because we still have a significant need within our communities of color uh, to um, educate mm -hmm. our young people. Uh, financial resources uh, are not readily available all the time. Right. And we know that 
HBCUs offer a cost-effective yes. option sure. to complete your education, but at the same time, there's a uh, nurturing, nurturing environment that will help our young people succeed and get to the next level. And to my viewers, thank you for watching this episode of HBCU. And remember, without you, there's no me.